Welcome to Quick Hits, the only podcast that gets you smartenized. Today's episode, State of the Unions. This morning I was watching a new show. And they had a town hall, one of those fakey town hall meetings that they like to do with John Edwards. Now, you can say whatever you want about John, but you got to admit, he does have really pretty hair. It's nice to know that you can get a really good looking haircut for just $400. Now, sometimes he splurges. Sometimes he goes for the $1,200 haircut, but he usually just goes with the $400 one. He was talking about... uh, poverty. Evidently, he's quite an expert. Last year, he was paid $55,000 for a single college lecture on poverty. Yes, he's an expert on poverty. For instance, he wants to raise the minimum wage, guaranteeing that people with low skill sets remain unemployable. And he was talking about unions. He wants to see more of them. Of course, Unions also increase unemployment because they force employers to pay workers more than they're worth and protect employees who aren't doing their work or pulling their weight, which means employers hire fewer people. Ah, But that's real world stuff. You know, people that get $400 haircuts don't have to worry about such things. But it got me to thinking about unions and my own personal experiences with them. The first consulting gig that I ever had was for a bank, and it was a pretty simple job. They were moving an office from one side of the street to the other side of the street. They owned both buildings. So we had all of the offices in the building on the north side of the street, and we were moving those offices over to the south side of the street. And I was hired as one of the computer people to move the computers over. We'd go in in the morning about 8 o'clock, and they'd tell us which group of computers they wanted us to take care of, and we'd wrap them all up and bundle them all up and put them in boxes and label them so they ended up with the same people when it made it to the other side of the street. And that took us about an hour, and then the Teamsters came in, packed them all up, and disappeared. We then went across the street, and we were told that while we were waiting for the Teamsters, They had other work for us, and they had all kinds of things, all types of computer repairs and fixes and installs and everything else all over the building. About 4 o'clock, the Teamsters showed up because they had by that time made it all the way across the street and unloaded the boxes. We then opened up the boxes, opened up the computers, changed out the NIC cards. They were changing, I think, from a token ring to an Ethernet, if I recall correctly. And this was back in the days of DOS, when changing something like that required messing around with config sys files and autoexec files. And we'd get them all working, and and everything was running fine. And that usually took us until about 7 o'clock, so we got a couple of hours of overtime. The next day... The same scenario played itself out. We were there at 8 o'clock, packed up the computers. 9 o'clock, we crossed the street, worked all day. 4 o'clock, the Teamsters came in and dropped off the computers. But in the meantime, on that day, I had stepped outside for a break into the alley, and there, lo and behold, 
were the Teamsters, not even hiding, just sitting around enjoying each other's pleasant company, drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes and having just basically a grand old time, waiting until four o'clock came so they could empty the tiny load in their truck and get back home after their hard day's work. We could easily have moved all the computers from that building across the street ourselves, set them up in the new building, and had it all done by Thursday. Instead, the project took nearly a month. What the Teamsters got to drink a whole lot of coffee. Later on, I had another gig with the New York State Department of Education. State workers, of course, completely unionized. Now, to give you a little perspective, in yet another gig, I was hired to do a rollout, and it was me and one other guy to roll out 90 computers, starting with sealed boxes, ending up with these computers loaded, up and running, hooked up to the network on people's desks, and they hired two of us for one month. And that was just about right. Two man months, 90 PCs, 320 hours, we could have done it a little quicker if we had had to, but we got the job done easily with no problem. The New York State Education Department also hired me for a rollout. They had 50 PCs to install. They hired four people for six months. Two man years. Over 4,000 hours to install 50 PCs. We had them all imaged and ready to go in a couple of days, and we were stretching that out to make it last. But we found out the real reason that they had hired us, and it had really nothing to do with the PCs that we were putting in. We were actually hired to do the job of the help desk, because the help desk, well, they had other things to do. They were playing Othello on their computer. One guy was working on building his Amway downlinks. The whole thing was, was really a joke, and we were there to do their job. Out of eight people, there were maybe two people there who actually did some work. The rest of the people probably put in about a half a day's work every week or so. Throughout the entire department, about half of the people actually worked. They'd come in and they'd do a good day's work. But the other half had made goofing off an art form. They'd come in and they'd read the paper very thoroughly. They'd do finder words and crossword puzzles. They worked on their lotto numbers. Several people there drank their lunch. One guy took a nap every afternoon. You could hear him snoring all over the office. One department spent a lot of time doing jigsaw puzzles. And, of course, they spent a lot of time complaining about contractors coming in and stealing their work. My favorite, I think, was the woman who was building herself a cubicle out of Harlequin romance novels. It was in a big open office where there were no cubicles. All the desks were all visible. And she had piled all the way around her desk stacks of Harlequin romance novels. And she had gotten them up so that they were about two feet above her desk, a little wall that she was building. And she was always reading a novel, so she always had something more to, to build this stack. And, and frankly, I don't know how she kept them up without them all falling down. I don't know if she had them glued together or if she had some uh, particular bricklaying talent or whatever. But that, to me, was really the epitome of what was going on there. Now, for this particular gig, I was being paid 
roughly twice the going rate for the kind of work that I was doing. And the agency that I was working through was also getting at least 50% more than that, plus the fact they were paying the workers whose jobs we were doing a decent salary and really good benefits. So the state was paying probably about five times what it should to get the job done. But at least the union people were protected. And whenever there was any cutbacks, it was always done through attrition. They always announced, oh, well, we're, we're going to cut down the number of state workers, but we're going to do it through attrition. Guess who leaves when you do attrition? Yeah, the productive people. They don't like working in that kind of environment. And they're the ones that leave and go into business, and the slugs stay behind. And so things just get slower and slower and slower. Now, later on, I had another consulting gig for a bank uh, doing some Y2K remediation stuff. And one of their customers was the Department of Taxation. And when I went into there, I was expecting to see the kind of foolishness that I had seen in the Department of Education. But no, everybody there was working. And they were all members of the same union as the Department of Ed, which happened to be actually across the street. But they were working. They were putting in a good day's work, which means that it is possible in a union shop to get work out of people. At least it was in that case. Although I don't know what it says when the only efficient government department I've ever seen was the Department of Taxation. A while after that, I got a gig working in a turbine factory. I was providing training and support for some new software that was coming in for the union workers in the turbine factory. These buildings were huge. In the smaller building, we had actually walked around that building for three days before we noticed the locomotive in the corner. I'll give you a little perspective of the size of the building. And that building was uh, maybe an eighth of the size of the larger building where they built the gas turbines. Uh, the steam turbine was the one where we hadn't noticed the railroad engine. And I could talk for an hour about the abuses that I saw there, but I won't. I'll just tell you one story. They had a machine there that was, oh, probably the size of maybe uh, a raised ranch and a half. Huge machine. And this is a big milling machine. It was about two stories high. And up on the top, there was a panel where all the electrical stuff was. And it was in an electrical panel that looked like gym lockers. And at one point, one evening, at the beginning of the shift, one of the doors to the electrical panel popped open. There was no union electrician assigned to that particular part of the factory that evening. And so the other workers couldn't work because it was a safety violation and union rules forbid them from going up and pushing the door closed. And so the six of them sat around and played cards all day, had a grand old time, all at the expense of the company. Yes, I will admit there was a time in our history where unions were important, where they were needed, where they contributed to the existence of the middle class but I think they've long passed their usefulness. They've long passed their prime. And the last thing we need, Mr. Edwards, is more of them. And let me finish with a story that may or may not be true. I was sitting outdoors having a drink on a little patio in the summertime in Saratoga, and there was a table full of Teamsters next to me, 
and they were all laughing and joking and having a good time, and, and there on the floor of the patio was a snail. And one of the teamsters got angry. He got up, he walked over to that snail, and he stomped on it and killed it. I looked at him, I said, wow, what brought that on? Why'd you do that? And he looked at me and said, that damn thing's been following me all day long. And that's it for this episode of the Quick Hits Podcast. If you've learned a little something, if you've changed your mind, or even if you can just understand a different point of view without necessarily agreeing with it, congratulations, you've been smartenized. Hey, you know I love hearing from you folks. Hitman at DaveHit.com. You can get the correct spelling of that in the MP3 tags of this file. Or you can just go to DaveHit.com and spell with two T's. You'll find all kinds of connections and links there. Just about every page has a contact the author. So you can get in touch with me that way. By the way, I've been having a lot of fun with the new blog. I've been actually putting stuff up there uh, probably two or three times a week. Uh, just whatever interests me. Uh, kind of things that you would hear on this podcast and other things too that uh, aren't really appropriate for it. So check that out. Go to DaveHit.com and on the left-hand side, click on the Quick Hits blog, not to be confused with the Quick Hits podcast. I used to give you a phone number to call, but that is now dead, so don't call it. I'm not going to go back and change 50 different shows, but nobody ever used the thing. It expired. I can't get the old number back, and it's just not worth pursuing anymore. Got a couple of letters here. Most of you seem to really like the Michael Moore podcast. I didn't get any fans of Michael Moore writing in to tell me that he's a brilliant genius and I'm an evil schmuck for opposing him. Which is not really surprising because this show is designed to appeal to the smarter set, not the Michael Moore set. Got a message here from Michael Bates who was talking about uh, some older shows. I listened to the Nanny States of America and Fixing Education. Keep it going as long as possible. The world needs quick hits. He talks about being a teacher and tending bar, and he gave up tending bar because the bartender is liable if somebody gets in trouble. As far as fixing education, he thinks that one of the problems is that to get a teacher's license, everyone must take a bunch of psychology. And he mentions the brilliant Richard Feynman talking about psychology not being a science, but a cargo cult. And look up cargo cult if you're not familiar with that term. It's, it's quite enlightening. Michael writes, the main thing wrong with psychology is called normalization. Basically what this means is that if a lot of people do it, then it's normal. Thus, if you pray to your neighbor's dog and get empathetic direction from your prayers, you're crazy. But if you pray to your neighbor's God and get empathetic direction for your prayers, you're normal. Bingo. Right on. He also, uh, at the end of the letter, says, I need your help in the upcoming election. At the present rate, I hate the Republicans and think all the ones running are second rate at best, but Hillary Clinton scares the crap out of me. You and me both, Michael. I've been dabbling in the Unity 08 website, but I am dubious. I want to support a candidate that swears to repeal all the Orwellian legislation that has come to pass over the last decade. Is there a Barry Goldwater anywhere in American politics? Help me. Yes, there is. He's a long shot. His name is Ron Paul. He is the only candidate, either Democratic or Republican, 
who has a proven record of fighting big government, voting against tax increases. He voted against the war in Iraq. He is a strict constitutionalist. He is a Barry Goldwater conservative, which means, surprisingly, you can also refer to him as a classical liberal. He's a good guy, and you're probably not going to agree with him on everything, but if you really want a smaller government, he is the only guy who not only talks the talk, but walks the walk. He's definitely worth checking out. Got a nice long letter from Don Venerdos talking about insurance and the Michael Moore podcast. Let me read you some excerpts. An interesting point is that everyone seems to mention the lobbying power of the healthcare industry, but no one points out that this lobbying power will be expanded under a single-payer system. Imagine the benefit of getting better coverage or exclusive coverage for your drug or technology. Imagine the power of big business over small, innovative companies. Oh, sorry, the new XYZ machine is not eligible for reimbursement because the company that makes it doesn't have enough money to lobby for coverage under the single-payer system. Absolutely. I mean, I've sat there watching this Moore movie where he's talking about all these politicians being bought off. So the solution is to put them in charge of more health care? <clears throat> Excuse me? Now, a couple people asked what I cut out of that podcast because it was excessively long. One of the things that I cut out was the very unlibertarian idea of forcing insurance companies to have high deductibles because that would encourage people to shop for their medical care and get in the habit of looking for the best value. Don actually does this. He says, I believe one part of the solution to the health care issue is high deductible plans. These plans are not good for the poor, but for the middle class, they're excellent. I have one. I have a $4,000 deductible, and so I pay network rates for all my medical care up to the deductible. Once my deductible is met, I pay nothing. Zero. Zilch. So I will never incur a medical expense greater than $4,000 in one year. This plan is about $200 a month cheaper than a more comprehensive plan. In addition, I'm able to choose how I limit my costs. I can choose if I want to pay the extra to go to a specialist or if I think I can get adequate treatment from my GP. I like this much better than the government making those decisions for me. As I mentioned in an earlier show, not the Moore show, but one before that, a lot of the problem is we have come to expect that health care should be free or should be cheap. We will spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars. We'll spend $1,000 to get our car fixed. But a $500 medical bill? Oh, wow, what's wrong with that? That's just terrible. We shouldn't have to pay that much. And if you had a high deductible, people would be more careful about what they got. Oh, here's a pill for $500 a month that has a 70% rate, and here's one for $25 a month that has a 60% success rate. Which one do you want to try? Which one would you try first? Yeah, exactly. But if insurance is paying for it, you might as well go for the more expensive one, and I've been guilty of this myself. Several years ago, my doctor sent me to the drugstore with a prescription for a glucose meter. I could get any one that I wanted. They had one there for $14 that looked really cheap and crappy and I wasn't interested in it. They had a super deluxe model that was 80 bucks. If I were paying for this out of my own pocket, I probably would have bought the $40 one. $40 one looked good, it would do the job, it was pretty fast, and it took 15 seconds for it to give you the results. But the $80 one, 
gave you the results in five seconds. Woohoo! I saved a whole 10 seconds a day when I used this one. Again, myself, out of my pocket, I would have bought the $40 one, but no, since it was insurance, I bought the $80 one. If I had a high deductible, I wouldn't be doing that. I would have been making the more reasonable, more prudent decision. Don ends his letter with what is probably my personal mantra. Why don't we see what we can do with less government? I think we can do great things if we take personal responsibility instead of relying on the government to fix things. And that's it for the closing comments. Hey, listen, never forget that the Quick Hits Podcast is nothing more than a journal of one man's opinion and therefore should not be taken too seriously. Seriously.